Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day race fans, welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host Will Dale and here's what's making headlines this week. The Aussies held their own against the visiting internationals in the first leg of the TCR World Tours Australian doubleheader. Will Brown won two of the races at Sydney Motorsport Park with former World Touring Car Championship winner Rob Huff taking the other. Elsewhere on the Shannon Speed Series bill at SMP, James Moffat and Nash Morris split the wins in Trans Am. Moff also took out the round win, but his biggest win of the weekend came on Friday afternoon when an appeal hearing overturned his disqualification from the Winton round, and we'll talk more about that later in the show, while 16-year-old Alex Gardner sealed the Workhorse Radical Cup Australia Championship. Some NASCAR royalties coming down under for the Velo Adelaide 500. Legendary team owner Richard Childress is scheduled to make a visit to the season-ending Supercars event. The 78-year-old is the boss of Richard Childress Racing, which Brody Kostecki raced for in his Cup Series cameo at Indianapolis, and which has been building ties with Erebus and Dunlop Series squad Image Racing. Rising star Jaden Ojeda is off overseas later next week. He's been tabbed for an AMG Young Driver test at Valencia in Spain with GT racing team Landgraf Motorsport. He's up against a host of young talent from around the world, and the prize is a run in next year's Gulf 12 Hours in a factory-run Merc, but it could open more doors than that. For example, last year's winner, Yusuf Avega, landed a full-time drive in the DTM for this year. And Shane Van Gisbergen smoked all comers in his Aussie Racing Cars debut at Highlands Motorsport Park over the weekend, taking pole position and winning all three races, while Joel Heinrich clinched this year's championship. SVG was out of luck in the Highland six-hour enduro, though. He and Dwayne Carter's Brabham BT62 didn't quite have the pace in the run to the flag, and they finished fourth with the Mercedes of Pauland and Pedersen and Marco Giltrap taking the win. In the co-driver's seat today, as always, is Stefan Bartholomeus. Let's get straight into it, Steph, with our Castrol high-spec stars of the week. Steph, who's yours going to? Hello, Will. Well, I think to start with, you should get an honourable mention this week for working on Melbourne Cup Day down there in Melbourne. (laughs) So thank you for that. But my star of the week is Fernando Alonso for reasons that will be obvious to anyone who watched the Brazilian Grand Prix. Just when it looked like the wheels had fallen off this Fernando Alonso-Aston Martin combination, they were back on the pace in Brazil and Fernando put on a masterclass to finish third that late battle with Sergio Perez was an absolute beauty and for Fernando to lose that place and then regain it again on the last lap it was just an awesome battle to watch you want to say he's turned the clock back but he's not really turned the clock back because he's just he's this is him this is what he does this is what Fernando Alonso has consistently done for so long now 
well, he's turned the clock back about two months when Aston was competitive <laughs> and they had that great start to the season and then they uh, managed to develop the car backwards over a uh, period of several races, but uh, they were certainly uh, had some pace on the weekend. They sure did. Uh, for mine, I'm going with Will Brown. He was seriously impressive in the TCR car all weekend against all the big guns from overseas. It was almost flawless. We won't talk about his start to race three. Uh, but I'll also give an honourable mention to young Benny Barguana for that sensational pole lap. Uh, right, let's get things underway with a bit of supercars talk. And a couple of potential new venues have been floated for the future. And look, they're two locations that may never have been mentioned in the same breath before, Qatar and Cessnock. Now, Qatar comes as part of Supercar's pursuit of slots on the support bills at Formula One Grand Prix, and it could be happening as soon as next year, but the twist is that it'd have to be exhibition races and not for points, and that's due to the timing of the F1 race, which is slated for December 1, which would be after the Velo Adelaide 500, and that event has the rights to be Supercar's championship finale until 2026. Steph, it seems wild to me that supercars could be headed back to the Middle East for the first time since 2012, but not for points. Surely there must be a pretty big sanctioning fee coming supercars' way for this to be a viable thing. Well, that's obviously what they're chasing, that big check, but uh, whether they can land the right size one is is going to be the key because clearly this has been a discussion that's been going on for some time and, and racing in Qatar is something that race chairman Barclay Nettlefold wants to happen as part of his vision for global growth and racing on more F1 support cards. It's, it's really a divisive topic whether it's the right strategy when there's so much work to do on the championship at home. And it does, like you suggest, it has that sort of deja vu feel going back in time, 10 or 15 years when supercars raced in the Middle East, chasing those those dollars. But I've got to say, as a fan in Australia, the idea of a post-season non-championship race in the desert doesn't really do much for me, but I guess I'm not the one trying to return some money to investors. That is a valid point, and especially given the news stories during the week about Race's financial position in the first 18 months of their tenure as the owners of supercars, um, bringing more money in in a very expensive time is definitely something I can see them wanting to do. Uh, from the Middle East to the Hunter region, we know the Newcastle round is dead for 2024 and maybe forever. Um but it may not be the last time that supercars race in the Hunter region if the Cessnock City Council have anything to do about it. Not heaps is known about their plan, but they've come out and said that they would lo- would happily like to host supercars at some at some point in the near future. Uh, they do have a name. It's called going to be called the Wine Country Five Hundred, which look. It's a pretty good name, uh, but Steph, you do need more than just a good name to ho- hold a supercars round. Yeah, well, the name reminds me of the old Drink Drive 500 at uh, at Sandown, which is still unbelievable that they uh, called it that back in the day. But <laughs> as you say, we don't know many details on this, but I think that's actually because there are none. Like at the moment, it appears more to be a bit of opportunistic sort of grandstanding, you might call it, by a nearby mayor drumming up some goodwill off the back of the Newcastle situation. And there's been nothing actually from supercars about this because clearly they, they still want to be racing in Newcastle. Yeah, that does very much seem like plan A. But I mean, the bit that I enjoyed about all of this was the fact that Newcastle, Newcastle City Council resolved in a recent meeting 
to put its support behind the wine country 500. I mean, that's that's basically having your cake and eating it too. Because, I mean, Newcastle's just like a little under an hour up the road from Cessnock and a pretty logical place for fans to find a comp for the weekend when all the wineries fill up. Well, it seemed like a bit of a, I don't want to go out with you, but have you met my sister kind of endorsement. <laughs> they, they like the race, but just not here, please. Uh, very good. And it sounds like they're as part of the remediation works because, of course, it, the Newcastle circuit ran through some pretty significant historical areas in the East End that at some point the bespoke section of the track that runs through the parkland would have to be torn up. So not only would the race potentially be gone, but all trace of it removed as well. Yeah, supercars had to spend a bit of money on those civil works to get the race up and going. So, uh, yeah, if, if that got reversed, then it's a long road back. But who knows, in Adelaide we went from uh, the council talking about ripping up the, uh, the parklands loop that had been existing from the Grand Prix days. It went from that to all of a sudden the Adelaide 500 being back um, in its full glory like we have now. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where all this goes. Like it never went away. Anyway, time will tell if either Qatar or Cessnock become a part of the supercars season. TCR was the big show on Australian soil last weekend, and that's probably the best weekend of TCR racing we've seen for a while, and certainly the biggest field we've had for a while. Steph, what do you make of the weekend? Well, watching it on TV, it was quite entertaining. Those uh, Euros certainly raced pretty hard. And it was fun to see the comparison against the locals. I think it really showed the quality of Will Brown. He was the class of the field, as you said at the top, which, you know, it shouldn't be a huge surprise given his supercars credentials. But I think overall the racing was good, but the lack of crowd looked pretty depressing. Like none of the those internationals were ever going to be crowd pullers, but it was embarrassing to see how empty the main grandstand was. It's, it has been an issue at SMP forever and a day, like attracting a crowd out there. Tr public transport options are quite difficult and challenging, and there are a lot of options to spend around Sydney and Western Sydney to spend your money on a Friday night. Um, so it was disappointing to see, but it, it was an obvious challenge that the promoters had to face. And which then I guess brings into focus what's coming up next weekend with a super cheap auto Bathurst International and whether they'll encounter the same issues there. Yeah, I think um, most events that aren't the Bathurst 1000 end up looking a little sparse on for crowd um, at Mount Panorama. So, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be full there, but hopefully there's more entertaining racing to come. That's true. And with 23 cars on track at SMP and the same count, obviously, going to Bathurst this weekend, nine of those cars came from overseas as part of the TCR World Tour round. And that was great to see, but Steph, it really shone a spotlight on the elephant in the room for TCR in Australia when it comes to its usual car count. Yeah, and we know there's enough cars here in Australia, but people can't afford to run them. And the weekend was kind of a case in point, how do you sell it to a sponsor when there's no one at the track and it's hidden away on stand so there's not many people watching it on TV either. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how entertaining the racing is if those numbers don't add up. And I think the real hope for it at the moment is that changing the TV deal next year will help it 
survive and if it could end up on seven and KO or, or something like that, then at least more motorsport fans would actually see it. Now, I mentioned off the top of the show how Trans Am points leader James Moffat had his biggest week and biggest win of the weekend, sorry, on Friday afternoon in Motorsport Australia's Appeals Tribunal. Moff and his Gary Rogers motorsport teammate Lockie Dalton had been disqualified from the Winton round in June following an investigatory tribunal last only held last month, and the appeal tribunal overturned their decision, so both drivers have had their Winton results reinstated. So that gives Dalton back his Winton round win and puts Moffat back into the lead of the standings now with just that one round to go at the Supercheap Auto Bathurst International. Now, all of this stems from a modification to the footwell area that GRM developed earlier this year with Motorsport Australia and the category's knowledge to try and fix some issues that right foot breakers were encountering when they were trying to heel and toe on down changes. Basically, it's a big plate to stiffen the firewall area to stop the throttle pedal moving slightly away from the brake pedal under heavy braking. And that modification actually became legal in August. But this whole thing is fascinating because it hasn't quite played out in the traditional, you know, scrutineers found something on the car and declared it illegal kind of way. Uh, instead, it was Paul Morris, who's a competitor in the series as an entrant for his son, Nash, who flagged the modifications use of the first three rounds and how rules may have been breached because of it. Uh, so that's why I went to an investigative tribunal in the first place. Now, st- stick with me here because there's a bit to this. So too much time had elapsed for the investigatory tribunal to take in the results of rounds one and two so it was just limited to round three at Winton and at the tribunal GRM didn't actually present any evidence to demonstrate categorically that it ran in qualifying and racing without the modifications fitted so the tribunal drew the conclusion that well the cars must have been fitted with those parts and decided to exclude them So for the appeal, GRM was able to introduce evidence that they had the cars put back to standard form ahead of qualifying through statements from Chief Mechanic Jeff Marshall and from Moff himself. So that satisfied the appeal tribunal that the cars ran in legal form and Moff and Dalton got their results back. Steph, I don't know about you, but my head hurts after trying to unpick all of this. It was certainly a messy scenario and it was extraordinary the way it turned around like you detailed. I mean, they were disqualified under an assumption that the parts were run at Winton and then reinstated based on the team's word that they didn't. I don't know (laughs) which of those two things is more incredible, but it was interesting that GRM said they took it out before qualifying at Winton due to paddock chatter about it. And Mm. in hindsight, it is just a shame that no one actually protested the cars at Winton itself so that that usual tech process would be followed and instead it ended up with this inquiry that focused on the process of the approval that was given rather than whether they actually ran it or not. And unfortunately, I think to a certain extent here, this comes back to the dangers of a category manager also being a competitor in that series. Like the fact that dynamic exists makes everything about this 10 times more sensitive and it's certainly not been received well by other competitors. No, and Honestly, it's not it's not as though it's an attempt to gain a significant unfair advantage. It's something that my understanding is that they were trying to do to do just that, to make drivers who are right foot breakers just to make things a bit easier and nicer for them. Um, and Lockheed, one of the points in the original tribunal 
that was part of GRM's defense is that Lockie Dalton kept left foot breaking anyway. So whatever check, whatever spec the the footwell was for him didn't matter. There was no performance gain or loss because he wasn't utilizing it. Uh, one thing I did find quite interesting is that the crux of GRM's appeal, it didn't just hinge on the evidence given by Jeff Marshall and Moff, but it hinged on them being able to actually present that evidence because you can't just you can't just appeal and bowl up and introduce a whole bunch of other things. It, you actually have to get permission to do that um, on the basis, and you've got to have present a pretty good reason for doing so. Um, in this instance, the pretty good reason reason for doing so, um, the representative for for GRM said in the appeal. Basically, the Stefan Millard, the long-time, long-time, um, long-time staff manager. member at GRM. Yeah, he's a team manager at GRM now, but he's been there for the donkey's years. Um, however, he'd not appeared before a tribunal before, and this I'm reading this direct from direct from the results of the appeal. Um, had not be- appeared before a tribunal before, and lacking experience, he did his best to by responding to the issues that appeared to be the ones that interested the tribunal rather than instigating issues for investigation himself, um, i.e. pointing out that the cars didn't have the illegal bits in them. So I found that quite interesting and an interesting interesting precedent, potentially. Yeah, I think um, overall it's just the last thing the category needed, like regardless of intent, and it looked like GRM, as you say, were trying to improve the cars and they were doing things what they thought was by the book. But after they went through that flexi roof scandal as well Mm. last year, again, another awkward scenario where they were sort of pushing the envelope on that issue. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's such a great series. They're awesome cars. There's a lot of cars in the country now, but the whole category has not helped itself with, uh, with some of these things that have gone on. Let's take a look at the international scene now and Max Verstappen knocked over yet another record on his way to winning the Grand Prix of Sao Paulo in Brazil. His 17th win of the season means he now has the highest percentage of wins within a season in championship history. So even if he dips out of the last two races, he'd end the year on a winning percentage of 77.3%. Alberto Ascari set the old mark in 1952 with 75 after winning six of the eight rounds that counted towards that year's title. Max also won the Saturday sprint race, while McLaren's Lando Norris gave him a bit of a run for his money in the Grand Prix, making a genuine attempt to try and pass the Red Bull for the lead before settling for second, ahead of a thrilling battle as described by you, Steph, between Fernando Alonso and Sergio Perez that ended not only with Alonso getting third place, but also Steph's Castrol high-spec star of the week. Uh, It was a rough weekend for the Aussies with Oscar Piastri and Daniel Ricciardo. Well, they both had good runs in the sprints, but had their Grand Prix compromised by the lap one, turn one shunt between Kevin Magnussen and Alex Albon, both copped damage. In Ricardo's case, that was a honking big Pirelli coming straight at his head and taking out the rear wing. Uh, and although both cars were able to be repaired under the subsequent red flag, they ended up finishing last and second last among the classified finishers. The World Endurance Championship wrapped up its season with uh, eight hours of Bahrain, the number eight Toyota-led start to finish, giving the Japanese mark the manufacturer's title, and Brent, drivers Brendan Hartley, Rio Hirakawa, and Sebastian Buemi the driver's title. 
The race was also the last for the LMP2 class in the WEC as it's being dropped from the World Championship for next year. And it's also the last for the GTE class, which is getting replaced by a GT3-based class for next year. And in GTM, it was the all-woman Iron Dames Porsche of Michelle Gadding, Sarah Bovey and Rahel Frey that took out the class win at Bahrain. And it's the first time an all-woman crew has taken a win in any class of the WEC since its revival in 2012. And NASCAR had its triple header championship weekend in Phoenix. On Friday night, Ben Rhodes won the truck series after four overtime attempts to get that race finished. Then on the Saturday night, Cole Custer won the Xfinity series finale and the title after a heck of a battle, but in the closing stages, I mean, with two laps to go, he was racing fellow title contenders, Justin Olgaier and John Hunter Nemechek three wide, and he eventually prevailed. While in the Cub Series, it was Team Penske's Ryan Blaney who notched up back-to-back titles for the captain. Ross Chastain won the race, but second place was enough for Blaney to take his first Cup Series title. That also gave Ford a sweep of all three titles, the first time any manufacturer has done that since 2001. And the NASCAR finale is a good segue for this week's Motorsport News Mailbag. We're going to get through a few, few of your questions this week. But first off is Andrew Morgan, who asks... Thoughts on the NASCAR playoffs format, keep it as it is, or go back to a 10-race chase for the Cup, or just back to a standard 36-race most points wins? Uh, look, I think the 10-race chase is a bit of a weird middle ground now, um, knowing what we know. Either You either go completely the way of rewarding the most consistent high achiever across a season, or you reward people for winning when it counts. And for mine, I absolutely, lo- I absolutely love the playoffs format for that reason. You've You've got to perform. You've got to win. And personally, and I don't know whether people, a lot of people will agree, uh, I'd personally love to see it applied to supercars. To be honest, I'm probably not close enough to it to have a firm view, certainly not as strong as yours. My gut feel on it is that it works for NASCAR with such a long season and that sort of need to generate that win to get in desperation. But I don't, think it'd work well in supercars. I mean, the season being so short is a, is a big issue. Like your chase would just be like two rounds, wouldn't it? So I was trying to – I thought about this a long time ago, probably when probably when NASCAR first instituted the playoffs. And I had in my head that you could get it to work for supercars over three rounds post-Gold Coast and basically have a really short, basically, what playoff season where the top eight drives in points – uh, Cole two after the first round, uh, Cole two more after the second round. So you've got four people, four drivers heading into the finale with a chance at the title. Hadn't really thought any further on the ins and outs of how to do that. But four, four title contenders at the Adelaide 500 um, seems like it would be a bit of fun to me. I do tend to lean towards wanting the right champion and the person who represents who was best that year, which I don't feel like NASCAR necessarily gets, but I could see this being on the agenda at some point in supercars because of how few cracking season finales we've had in the recent past. And even this year, like it's alive, but it's not really alive in an exciting Shane can go and win it on his own terms kind of situation. Like Brody just needs to not lose his head and, and he'll do it. So yeah, it's certainly there's there's pros and cons. It's, it's funny to think that 
it's such a motorsport thing where there's it when NASCAR introduced this, it was like it was genuinely shocking that a motorsport championship would take this approach. But you look at you look at the football codes in Australia, and it's the same thing. The minor the team that performs best over the minor premierships or over the regular season isn't always the one that steps up and wins the grand final for this, that, or the other reason. For example, the Brisbane Broncos in the NRL this year. Um, so I don't, I personally, like I get it. It would go against a lot of a lot of history. I understand the philosophy. It's a pretty significant philosophical change. Um, but I just reckon it would be fun. And sometimes, sometimes you just need to have some fun. Anyway. The next question is from Jeff Bishop. With the rumours around Todd Hazelwood, what can we expect for Jack Perkins? There's a guy who is mature, quick, consistent, doesn't chuck it at the scenery, and doesn't rip up the machinery. Steph, we haven't had that many co-drivers locked in for next year's Enduros, so if Jack is indeed out at Erebus, there's probably a few teams along the lane where he could potentially slot in. Well, for sure, and there's plenty of rumoured interest in him for all the reasons Jeff has pointed out there i think it's there's a little bit of a matter of if he wants to do it because jack has proven very capable in his tv roles so that's Mm. the other way it could go if he decided to focus on that but drivers when they stop like they're a long time retired and jack's dream has always been to win bathurst for very obvious reasons and you can't do that standing in pit lane holding a microphone so, uh, yeah, I reckon he'll keep going, but it's very much unclear where. And it's also important to note that Erebus haven't uh, come out and said what they're doing yet either. Indeed. Uh, next question from Adam Besich. What? Yes, why do they keep adding aero to try to achieve parity instead of removing it? Aren't we heading back to Gen 2 type racing, which we all don't want? Uh, it, it was something that was probably a bit buried when all the info about Ford's changes for the Gold Coast came out, but they actually reduced downforce and drag overall. So in that sense, they, they didn't add aero. Yeah, the changes have been about balancing those parameters. They certainly haven't been about increases in outright downforce. Those big ticket target values are, yeah, are unchanged from the start of the year. Shane Edwards, can't they just take the V8s to Highlands instead of Topor? Track looks more suited to the V8s where Topor can turn into a procession with faster cars. Uh, to be honest, I'm just happy that Supercars is heading back to New Zealand at all next year. And there, there were a few commercial considerations that meant Topor was the winner. Highlands does look pretty majestic, at least from what I've seen in photos and videos. Uh, Steph, have you ever been over there? Yeah, I went over there one year when Australian GT was running so that was probably a while ago now and it's such a beautiful part of the world there but it is also quite remote and essentially it's been built as a members sort of track like not one for holding major international events and and that's really everything from the facilities to the layout itself I don't reckon there'd be a lot of passing around there with supercars like as fun as the layout actually looks I'm not sure if it'd race that well. Uh, I personally wouldn't mind them going to Hampton Downs as an alternative either. If nothing else to hear, the words double bastard corner said over and over and over again during the TV broadcast, but that's just me. Well, there's been plenty of Mustang drivers using those terms this year, so we've (laughs) we've heard it enough. Yes. 
Uh, Ty Davidovsky, what can we do properly about track limits in all motorsport? It's turning into the worst thing, sadly. Uh, one word comes to my mind, Ty, grass. If there's no grip, they won't use it. So you'd be turning those Gold Coast chicanes back to grass <laughs> on the inside like they were in the in the early days? I was going to say, like, that they used to be. And I, pers- I always thought that looked quite good. I mean, you don't, you don't see that in any other form of motorsport or other street street circuits where they just roll out some turf. And um, that's probably why it's probably quite expensive given the amount of times cars went straight through it. Mm. Uh, you're right, though. Like, if going off track loses time, the drivers won't do it. So whether that's grass on the exit of a corner or a big curb at the apex, it's, it's common sense that that's how it needs to be in order to not have this big issue about track limits. Adam Lane via Twitter. What's the deal with Monster and Tickford? First, the late deal at the start of the year. None of Cam's merchandise has the Monster logo on it. And I really want a diecast of his Gold Coast winner. Well, Adam, you're going to have to do a code three of that if you um, want a model of Cam's Gold Cam Waters Gold Coast Mustang. And unfortunately, the whole thing boils down to a licensing issue with Monster Energy and what the company wants their logos to appear on. Uh, I understand it's partly, then the model car specifically anyway, um, is partly to do with them classifying model cars as toys. Uh, let me tell you for how much one of those 118ths go for nowadays. I absolutely wouldn't be playing with them like they're a Matchbox car. <laughs> yeah, it's it's obviously um, more than just the models, it's, it's the merch too. So there's been a overall licensing conversation go on there and, and Monster clearly are very protective about where their brand goes and and who makes money out of what. So uh, it's it's a shame at the end of the day, though, that, um, yeah, the fans can't wear what the team does in the same way that, that fans of other other sponsors and cars and teams and drivers in this sport uh, can. Indeed. Uh, Steve C, is Reynolds likely to take the Penrite sponsorship with him to Team 18? If so, are you aware who the Groves have lined up? They seem to be on the improve and would be a good opportunity for a big sponsor. Steph, I don't know what your mail is, but it seems like Penrite is sticking with Groves rather than following Dave to Team 18. Yeah, I'm not across the the detail, but Penrite's definitely going to be at Groves in some capacity, and it's, it's not a ship that you'd want to be jumping off. Right now, I wouldn't have thought, considering how well they're going, probably the only drama for Penrite is um, they like to sort of ham up their Aussie credentials and they've got a pair of Kiwis uh, in those cars next year. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd want to be the one trying to coach Richie Stanaway to, to speak with an Australian accent. I wish <laughs> them all the luck in the world. Uh, Gordon Anderson, is World Motorsport at an all-time peak? This is our last question, by the way. Many categories around the world have four grids and a high number of spectators. Look, it's not a bad shout. I mean, we are living in a pretty good era of motorsport. If you um, if you take one step back and and not dwell on some of the issues that various categories are facing, uh, we've talked a lot about the various ones supercars are facing at the moment on this podcast. Um, I think probably the one thing that's absolutely an all-time peak is the ability to watch any kind of motorsport from around the world from the comfort of your own home or wherever you, to be honest, wherever you're sitting if you've got your phone. Uh, whether it's supercars, F1, MotoGP, NASCAR, Speedway, drag racing, club racing, state-level events, um, 
so much is broadcast at such a high quality via streaming now. And look, yes, you do have to pay for some of it. Even just having that as an option is such a far cry from even just 10 years ago. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a good time to be a fan, that's for sure. But as to the rest of the question, yeah, it's it's of such large scope that it's it's probably hard to give one answer and it would require a fair bit of analysis to, to do it justice. Certainly quite a few of the top-level categories, F1, IndyCar, WEC, like they're, they're flying at the moment. But, um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of tiers and all sorts of issues elsewhere. And certainly if, if you're a parent trying to fund your, your kid out of carts in Australia, you're probably going to have a different view of the health of the whole system. It's what's caught your eye on My 105 time, and there's been a lot of cool machines listed since the last episode. Steph, what's getting your dosh this week? Well, the car I've chosen is a car that's actually for lease rather than for sale, but it's a Paul Morris Motorsports built VE Commodore supercar owned by James Masterton, and this is actually the Cull Wiki chassis, so I thought some of this would be right up your Alley. It's got a pretty interesting history and no doubt some of it's flying through your head right now. But um, yeah, it's it, it was involved in the in the famous Paul Morris versus Nick Perkat scrap at Barber Gallo in 2011 when it was running as the Green Machine, uh, where it was also briefly driven by Danny Green that weekend too. So um, yeah, there's, there's a whole pile of interesting history on that car. Um, and I must thank you for not trying to sell Lenny this week. Much appreciated. Um, this week, I didn't even have to open up my 105 to go looking because the car that I've chosen was actually at the top of their email newsletter on Friday. It's a 2008 Dodge Viper Competition Coupe GT3. Look, I've always loved these cars, right back to driving them in games like Sports Car GT and GTR. Um, this one's actually listed as an auction on my 105, something they've started doing recently. And as we record this, the high bid is at $25,001 with nine days left. You've probably just blown your chance of uh, sweeping through for a bargain uh, by promoting it on here, but uh, best of luck. <laughs> I'll, tr- I'll just do- use the old eBay tactic of sniping right in at the end with my hypothetical <laughs> cash. Um, and don't forget, you can visit my105.com for those two machines and plenty more cars, bikes, carts, trailers, and transporters, parts, and accessories. So before we go, let's look to the weekend ahead. The super cheap auto Bathurst International is on at Mount Panorama. Titles are on the line in TCR and Trans Am, while Touring Car Blasters is back in action for the first time since the bend back in August. Plus, a few high-powered open wheelers are doing laps in the open wheel cavalcade demonstration sessions. Uh, further south, the VHRR has its annual historic Sandown meeting on. That's always an absolute cracker. While overseas, MotoGP is back in action at Sepang in Malaysia, the first leg of a triple header that culminates in the season finale at Valencia in Spain at the end of the month. Steph, I'm thinking of popping out to Sandown for the weekend to check out all the cool cars that I grew up watching on the telly. Uh, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? Well, I'm actually looking forward to seeing this TCR title decider at Bathurst, like Bailey Sweeney and Josh Bucken are the two leading contenders and it's fairly unique to have teammates going at it in different shaped cars. Like Sweeney, of course, has the i30 hatch and and Bucken has the sedan, which is a newer car, but it's taken a while for the team to 
get it up to speed, but it was certainly going pretty quickly when they were swapping paint, uh, the two Hyundais at SMP. So, um, yeah, I'll certainly be watching that, um, even if not many other people are. <laughs> and on that note, that's it for this week. So for Stefan Bartholomeus, I'm Will Dale, and we'll be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode of Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.